if you want to be a part of that to do that. And um, anyway, just with the Annabelle surgery and everything, my head kind of, I went in a different direction. Normally I would have a Christmas message this morning. <laughs> I was thinking, wait a minute, Christmas is a week. You know, Ethan actually told me, yeah, it's next Sunday, Dad. I'm like, uh... And we're actually doing more of a Easter Sunday resurrection, well, getting close to it. I guess a Good Friday message more accurately, but we're going to be in, in Luke chapter 22 today. Yeah, <laughs> the reason for Christmas, thank you. Uh, yeah, the reason we can celebrate the greatness of Jesus coming too. Um, but Wednesday we'll have a short, we'll have a Christmas message, so we'll, we'll save it for then and then probably do something very very short online for Christmas Day, too, if you want to join in on that. So more details to follow. But if you would, this morning, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. And we're picking it up about, well, we'll get a running start from verse 40. So if you want to make your way down there. But let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for today, Lord. We ask that you would just continue to move in our hearts and our midst, Lord, and that you would just bless this time that we spend just seeking you, Lord. Um, we pray uh, for Miss Deb at home and broke her toe too, Father, and for Annabelle's healing, Lord, and and Lord, just for all uh, everybody else, Lord, and uh, you know this new what I don't know if this is the fifth, fourth one a wave of coronavirus, Lord. I, I I don't keep track of it anymore. It just seems like what's what some people like to talk all the time about, Lord, but. Um, uh, and I know it has an impact, and Lord, we just uh, just pray, Lord, that those of us that know you, Lord, would just take that comfort and strength in knowing that you love us, and uh, Lord, that you protect us, you watch over us, and whatever happens is according to your will and plan for us as your children, Lord. Uh, we can have great peace and comfort in knowing that. Lord, we do pay, pray for the fearful that, that, Lord, they would just come to know you or grow in their faith towards you, Lord, knowing that you Hold our very breaths in your hand. And uh, Lord, uh, we just always want to remember that. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. <laughs> the beating of our heart, the taking of our breath, the functioning of our brain, and all those things that they scientists consider as being alive, Lord, are just held in your hands anyway, no matter what's going on in the world. And so we thank you for that. That's where we want them, and we always want them there, Lord. So, again, we ask that you would just draw us close, bless this time as we gather together to hear from you, Lord, for we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we left off with Jesus in the garden, and I will show you, you know, a picture. Uh, sorry, it's a little out of focus because that's a picture that I actually I took uh, some time ago, but just gives you some sense. He's been praying in the garden. That's where we left off. Um, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's, here's, here's kind of the picture of uh, the Mount of Olives or, or where the gardens are and looking up towards what is today the modern wall of Jerusalem, and that would be the modern East Gate, supposedly built over the old East Gate, although they don't really know for sure because every time they want to do some archaeological work up there, uh, there could be a, the next world war happen. <laughs> so, but um, that's that's where he is. And we left off in verse <coughs> 40, excuse me, and it says, um, and when he came to that place, which is speaking of the garden, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into, into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed and said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And that's where we ended last time. We made it very clear that there was no other way. 
Jesus asked the Father if there was another way, then make it another way. If there was going to be three ways or five ways or ten ways or ten thousand ways or ten million ways to get to heaven or get to God or move into eternity, however people want to describe that, then this wouldn't have, wouldn't have had to happen. And, uh, but there is no other way. And of course, we talked about John 14, 6, you know, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me or through me or by the work that I do, if I can add that to it there. And so he is the one, he is the way. And that was made very clear because the, uh, the prayer of Jesus um, was, no, this is the way. Uh, uh, the Father's answer was, I'm sorry, this was the way to the prayer of Jesus. Now, verse 41 tells us, Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. And then he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, and he found them sleeping from sorrow. And then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Now, Jesus knew that he was going to you know, be the most difficult hour you know, for them. They were going to be tempted to throw in the towel because of everything that would have happened. And so he tells them to join him in prayer. But it was tough on them. Um, we're told here, interestingly enough, you know, in verse 45, that they just couldn't pray uh, because they were, uh, they just were so sorrowful. The whole thing was so heavy. You know, their, their eyes were heavy from sleep. Certainly it was late um, or early in the morning. Some people think, you know, it's, his arrest happened around 2.30 a.m. I, I don't know quite how they arrive on all those things. Um, but we know it certainly was night, and certainly he was on the cross by 9 a.m., so a lot of things happened between night and being on the cross at 9 a.m., certainly. But, um, uh, you know, here they were just, they, were, they, had, they had a lot of sorrow. Now, he, he was going through a lot, and, and he asked the disciples to take, he took three of them to get even closer to him to pray for him, and we talked about praying for one another, but... You know, the other thing is, you know, we ask people to pray and, you know, but just notice if they fail or, you know, if we fail praying for somebody. I love that the Father sends angels here, you know, to strengthen Jesus. Uh, that's, a, that's a great encouragement to us as well. Uh, you know, he, he felt all alone because the disciples were tired and, and they were just really sorrowful of what was going to go down. And I'm Sure, by this point, you know, it was pretty clear that Judas probably was the one that was going to um, betray Jesus as he had told them and, and even said that directly to them during that beginning of the Last Supper there um, that we have in Gospel of John. But, but again, um, these guys were sorrowful, it says, and they, they just couldn't pray. They just couldn't pray and then, you know, be in, you know, when you get in that kind of that cycle, you get kind of tired, um, uh, uh, you, you get down, you get depressed, and then it feels even more tired, and that whole kind of vicious cycle that goes on. And, um, you know, um, the great wonderful promises, even when we're in a situation like that, that's been given to us, and they just couldn't pray, you know, there's this great verse in Romans 8, 26 and 27, and most of us are 
very familiar with it, but it's always good to go back over that because, you know, the disciples were asked to pray. They were supposed to be praying, and yes, it was late, but also, you know, we're told here in Luke that they just found them sleeping from sorrow. The reason they were sleeping, and I guess the late hour, had, I'm sure, had some, some effect, I imagine, at some point, but here it says that they were sorrowful. But when that happens to us, it says in Romans 8, 26 and 27, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You know, the great thing is that when we get in that situation like the disciples where it's just overwhelming and sorrow or problems or difficulties or circumstances just seem to be so overwhelming. You know, here's this great promise is that the Spirit knows, the Holy Spirit in us knows, you know, those things. And we don't have to articulate some great words. We don't have to come up with some great way to you know, uh, tell the Father exactly how we're feeling or what, you know, what's going on or what we'd like to see Him do or the work that we are asking Him or the help or the comfort or the peace or whatever it might be. We know that the Spirit intercedes on behalf. So even a groan, uh, or, uh, or, you know, you could think of groans in any number of ways, right? Or just a you know, the letting out of a breath, and it's just like, you know, overwhelming. But we have the Spirit who intercedes in behalf, and it's kind of like, you know, uh, you know we're praying, and, and, and the Holy Spirit's saying to the Father, well, this is what Dylan really means by that. <sighs> that oh. <laughs> you know, let me just tell you, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, it's always, in, it's always in communication with the Father. He knows what's going on. And that's a great and wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to, to remember as well. Even though these guys were so uh, overwhelmed with sorrow and things were changing so fast and would change even faster in a few days here, um, that you know, there's this great presence of the, the Holy Spirit, again, that we can rely on in our lives when it comes our turn to be you know, sorrowful or hurtful or down because of circumstances like here. And of course, you know, that angel was dispatched to strengthen Jesus. We know that he uh, sweat great, like great drops of blood. So I, I don't know how you picture that, but it was like it. It wasn't necessarily he was um, thinking it's like, you know, if you ever cut any part of your face or head, you know, there's so much blood there that any little cut seems like it's just gushes out, right? Um and there was some blood there, but, it, you know, and it, it, I, I just don't picture it as being like this huge drape of blood because it's like great drops of blood. And there probably was blood because, you know, they say under tense pressure, those little blood vessels, those little capillaries can break. And, and, and um, obviously going through all that he was going through mixed with, with, with the perspiration, you know, looked like blood coming down his face. Um and, uh, and then it was time. Uh, again, he sends angels to comfort him and to speak to him and encourage him during this time, dispatches an angel, I should say. And then um, while he was still speaking, verse 47 tells us, Behold the multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, 
went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. So Jesus raises up from his prayer. He knows time is coming. He knows the mob and the, again, we know from other gospels, there was Roman soldiers. There was the the temple police, if you would, uh, their security for the temple. Of course, no police forces back in those days, but the Jews did have their own security force, which was really the people that worked at the, the temple and the, um, the doorkeepers, and they had different, they were called different titles, but essentially we would call them the police force or their security force for the temple, and, and representatives from the leaders were there as well, as well as soldiers and, and armed um, temple security guards were there, and, and they were coming with Judas. Jesus knew that, and uh, you know he finishes his prayer. He gets the disciples up, and, and then as he's doing that, and again, maybe picture that garden picture that I just put up there just a little bit ago, but as he's you know speaking to them, hey, we're gonna you know get up. Uh, hey, uh, everything's coming to a head right now. It's time for me to be arrested, if you would. He's still speaking. Then all of a sudden, you know, they see this crowd, and Judas is walking up now, leading this crowd. He comes up to Jesus and got close to him and gave him a kiss. Um, and so again, remember. Uh, on the bigger picture of it all, it was settled. You know, Jesus' face now is set to finish the work on the cross. And, uh, you know, it's, it's your will that this be done. And this is the way you've chosen to reunite a sinful man with the holy God. And so he's setting his face towards doing this. Let's get up. You know, the prayer's been answered. Uh, it's time to get up because uh, things are going to start. Judas shows up with this mob of of people, and he betrays Jesus with a kiss. Just right out of the gate, I just want us to note, and again, it's just, uh, you know, some of us are, have, are, have a bigger propensity for this than others, just based on how we were raised, but notice Jesus had to be identified. I, I know it sounds kind of obvious sometimes to us, but, you know, you see so many pictures and renderings and artist conception of Jesus and every time you see him he's got some halo over his head or he's got this glow coming out um, you know uh, it was dark for sure but Jesus had to be identified Jesus you know they wanted him to be identified and though it was dark um, at, at night we know that they came with torches they had some sort of light there but Jesus needed to be identified Again, he didn't walk three inches above the ground. He didn't have this face when you looked at him. You, oh, that's that's I know who that is. You know, it, it, it was it, it wasn't like that. As a matter of fact, you know, the description of what Jesus would go through during this time, and the description of him is that we looked at him and there was nothing uh, inherently attractive about him in the sense that he was just kind of ordinary. Um, you know, we were told that that's what he would look like. So there was nothing, you know, and I, I just want to get that because it, you know. With him, but certainly these people that are coming to arrest him uh, would have maybe seen him, maybe not have seen him. And there was no other way to identify him from the other disciples and other people he's with other than Judas making sure and making positive ID, we'd say today. So um, uh, I, I just want that to, you know, to, to be said. Um, there's so much that can be said about that. I'm tempted to go on and talk about the prophecies in, in Isaiah about 
what he looked like and what he looked like afterwards and so forth. But we'll save that for another teaching, or you can go back and look at those and listen to those. But the other thing you notice is that, you know, there's always this, this thought, and there's not always, let me rephrase that. There's, there's sometimes thoughts in people's minds about Judas and, you know, was he really kind of a patsy? What was his whole deal in all this? I just want to make it clear. First of all, Satan took control of him. He allowed Satan to enter him, okay? And secondly here, you see that this betrayal of his to identify is not just, there he is, it's that guy right there. It is, he is going up and giving him a warm, personal, I'll even say intimate greeting. This is a kind of a greeting that you, now it's again, it's common in the Middle East to still greet one another in, in kind of a, you know, a peck on the cheek a little bit. Mostly you just kind of touch touch cheeks. And in some cultures today, um, uh, you know, even when I go down to Mexico, usually when I meet Annabelle's family, if they're older and uh, they're ladies, you know, it's kind of customary to kind of give them a kiss on the cheek. You know, I've kind of learned that custom. And it is kind of custom for some of us here in the States, but certainly in the Middle East. But the idea is it's a, it's a warm, intimate, friendly, loving um, way of greeting somebody. And that's what Jesus is actually doing. And I, I think it's just pretty clear if it's not clear in your mind that his conscience has to be pretty seared or gone, you know, at this point to betray Jesus in this very intimate, friendly way. Um, and, um, I, I, you know, he's just not some patsy in all this. He was a very willing participant in all this. And of course, next time we move into chapter 23, we'll see, you know, the result of all that. But uh, so he, he identifies Jesus. He needs to identify Jesus. He does it in kind of this warm greeting and this betrayal and this warm kind of greeting. And then Jesus identifies that or talks about this. Verse 48 says, But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with sword? And one of the servants of the high priest, and one of them, I'm sorry, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. So Jesus is identified, and then, um, uh, you know, Jesus makes a comment, you're betraying me in this kind of intimate way with a friendly, uh, uh, you know, this warm greeting, loving kind of greeting. And then all of a sudden, you know, the disciples are, are, are fully awake at this point, and um, you know, they, they see this crowd here and they know, we know that they had two swords and then, um, you know, this, uh, we see this kind of bravery, you know, come up at least at, uh, you know, at this point with Peter. And we know from the other disciple, other gospel, I should say that Peter was the guy swinging the sword here and he either has a sword or he grabs a sword and he starts swinging and he cuts off the, uh, you know, high priest's ear, uh, you know, we, we will talk about Peter's betrayal and his denial, I guess, maybe of Jesus, but, uh, and his overconfidence, and we kind of spoke about that, but I, you got to give Peter bravery points here, right? I mean, I, I do. I mean, he's, he's way outgunned. Uh, you know, this is a, he, he, they've have two swords and they're fishermen. They're not soldiers. They're not trained. 
Uh, it's a large crowd. Um, you know, there's some numbers that are kind of tossed around about how many were there, and it, it could have been, it, it could have been in excess of a thousand. I mean, it's a possibility. Um, uh, people there. I, I don't quite think it was that many, but there's reasons for that. But let's say, for argument's sake, whatever it was, let's just even go down to a hundred people. You know, a hundred against twelve guys, and none of them soldiers. Uh, and the other ones are armed, and there's a good percentage of them that are soldiers. Them odds are pretty low. And again, you got to give Peter bravery points. Is he's kind of like, oh, you guys want to fight? I'll give you a fight. <laughs> he grabs a sword, and obviously, uh, you know, people go into detail about this. How can you cut off the right ear if you're right-handed? It, you know, uh, and they come up with all sorts of things about this. But Peter just kind of swung the sword, it seems to me, just to summarize it, you know, in kind of a wild fashion. Um, just to, to cut off somebody's ear, you know, it was you'd think it would be this way, but it could have been this way, and it, he just didn't have a good swing, and it stopped and cut off. You know, it doesn't tell us exactly how it's cut off, so everything's kind of supposition. But the bottom line was you got to give him some bravery points on this. You know, we do have a couple of swords here. I'm, I'm willing to go down with that and he does swing at least one swing is made here and this guy's poor ear is cut off not that he's deserving of anything he you know the, uh, the servant of the high priest would be um, a pretty significant role he'd be an important guy he's not some you know low life he's the servant of the high priest um, so he would have you know just think of like Joseph was uh, to Potiphar, you know, he was the head guy. He was the servant of Potiphar, so he was in charge pretty much of all his. So usually, the head servant would would have some authority. And in this case, since this was a quasi ruler of of Israel, even though they were under Roman occupation, he would be somebody important. And obviously, he was right there at the front, and he takes this beating. But Jesus, verse fifty one, answered and said. Permit even this, or, you know, I, I don't think the, the New King James captures this maybe the way we should. It, the NIV puts no more of this. Kind of the, the modern translations, I think, give, a, give it a, a clearer meaning of what he's saying is, uh, and not permit this, like, yeah, hey, keep going. It's, it's no, no more of this, you know, enough of this. He's saying to Peter with the battle, that that's what he's addressing, and the fighting, because I'm sure... You know, when that sword came out, other guys' sword came out, and uh, other um, military weapons they had came out at this point, and Jesus said, no, we're not, we're not having a throwdown here, right? If I could maybe put it in our modern terms. And then he touched the ear and he, his ear, and he healed him. So Jesus makes the situation, puts it back the way it was, if you would, heals the guy, making it very clear this is not I'm not going down with some fight here and then Jesus said to the chief priests the captains of the temple and the elders who had come to him have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs and I was uh, when I was with you daily in the temple you did not try to seize me but this is your hour and the power of darkness so again, uh, remember, you know, Peter is is swinging the sword here, and I don't know if this representation kind of gives you a picture of them, kind of an idea of them leading him away. But 
uh, you know, Jesus, Peter takes a swing, the ear is taken off. Uh, Jesus heals the ear, says, we're not going to have this fight. He says to him, man, you had every opportunity um, to do this uh, during the day uh, without having to come out here, without having to get this posse together. You know, I was within feet of you in the temple courts, uh, you know, all, all week and, and other times that he was even available for them, and they don't do it, and he just points out very clearly um, that, you know, this is, this, I'm allowing this to happen. This is the hour of darkness, and I'm allowing darkness to do what darkness is going to do. And I, I think there's a great lesson in this for us. Now, there's, there's, there's a lot of great lessons, but let me make this application. Um, notice Peter tries to make things happen. And again, I give him bravery points for this because he's way outgunned and he's not a soldier. And, you know, uh, I, I could see myself doing something like that. Well, I'm not going down without a fight. <laughs> You know, I don't know. I, I just, you know, that's kind of my nature. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I can jump into that so easy. And so pray for me. Um, Anastasia reminded me of that yesterday. I, I can tell you how, how bad it can be. We're at the, I'll mispronounce this, so don't hate me, Ethan. The the the, 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 the ice cream place, the Muchuacana um, over here by Knob Hill. Have you ever had the Mexican ice cream there? So we're, there's a line there, and um, you know we're just coming back from someplace, and and Annabelle wanted something, so we went over and got it, and then you know, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and there's people pointing at this. I, it, sorry, okay, I'm just telling you how I feel, right? I'm not saying it's right, but and they're pointing towards this, and there's four of them, and I'm like, they're just starting, oh, they're killing me, right? And then, oh, what about this? And then they're talking, and what about this? And then they're talking, and oh, no, and then they ask, you know, the girl helping, and what about this? And I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna be here forever. And, um, and then, um, and then this two other, uh, gals come in and I'm kind of in line there and they kind of walk and then they kind of walk up to the counter there and I'm like, oh, great. They're, you know, watch, she's going to want to help them after helping this crowd. And then, and then, um, that's exactly what happened. And of course, what did I do? I was like, uh, excuse me, <laughs> I was next. And, uh, and Anastasia said, you know what? You could have let those gals go ahead of us, dad. That was okay. And I'm like, you know, oh. Okay, she called me on it, and I need to be called on it because I didn't really feel that good about it either. But point of all that long story of uh, self-facing there is the fact that you know uh, I I can understand that, and and Peter Peter is kind of operating that way, and maybe you can feel that way at times too. But the message is clear. Jesus reminds him that this isn't his kingdom. He's not ruling over this world yet. And, and, and this world is, uh, is led along, although certainly the Lord moves things and allows things to happen and is moving things to, in conformance with His will, which will eventually come with His ruling and reigning and His coming back and setting everything right. And in and, and a, you know, a lot of ways, when He you know, moves back and allows the judgment to, to, to come, we'll see all this happening. But, but the bottom line is what we need to remember is that um, you know what around what's around us isn't part of his kingdom, so don't fight to hold on to it. You know, people can get so sidetracked um, today as believers, as Christians, to set up this society or set this world right, uh, but we can't, and Jesus didn't. 
You know, he made a way for salvation. He could have ushered in the kingdom then. I mean, he could have done any a number of things. The Lord could have done any number of things and got rid of all this. Um, As a matter of fact, he displays his power. If you remember in this very scene in the Gospel of John is that, you know, uh, when he says, you know, I am he, you know, they all fall back. You know, they literally, you know, all fall over just at the sound of his voice. He's showing his authority here. And I, I try not to go into all the other Gospels because... It already took long enough to go through Luke, and if I bring in all the other accounts, it, we'd be in here for the rest of our lives probably, as slow as we've been going. But but he does show his power, but he, he is not... Yes, I have the power to do everything, because they all fall over a couple of times just by his word. And uh, that's a, a whole amazing thing here. But, but Jesus you know, uh, uh, is clearly telling the people, uh, the disciples, I should say, and I think a clear good lesson for us is don't get into, get into trying to fix everything in society. Now, we need to do this, and we need to do that, and we'll fix this. And if we just get rid of abortion, if we get rid of these things, if we change you know, the laws and this. And I am not saying we shouldn't do things right and vote for things that are right. I am not saying that at all. You know, that is what our, our country is based on, and we have that free exercise, and we should use it. And certainly, if the church could get its act together and really have its voting power behind it, I think, you know, we would see a lot of good things happen um, and and encouragement to people to come to the Lord or things about the Lord uh, instead of this vocal minority that bullies, you know, everybody tries to silence every voice. So I'm not saying that, but we need to remember at the end of the day, Jesus didn't try to change the, the place and the society and the area he was living in or, or, or ministering in and what he was doing here as he was coming. Um, he, 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 uh, he wasn't trying to correct the elders and doing all that and, and redoing society. Again, here Jesus is in control, but he allows darkness to do what it wanted to do all along, which was to kill, put him to death. And of course... We know that was in conformance with God's plan. And I just want us to remember that great lesson. Peter, it's not, this is not a world to fight for in that sense. You need to live for me. And Peter will find out that it's harder sometimes to live for Jesus than it is to die for him in that sense. He'll find out that the temptation to deny Jesus under great pressure, I'd have to admit, and we'll see here in a minute, uh, was harder than to take the sword out and just to start, you know, thrashing it around. And, you know, um, the bottom line is Jesus is in control. And he allows darkness, as he said, to do what it wanted to do all along, which was put him to death. And I always find that when darkness is moving in great power, the light will shine the brightest in the midst of that darkness. Um, I, I... Frank, quite frankly, I get thoroughly discouraged in the area that we're living in and in the particular part of the state we're living in and in the state we're living in. You know, I, 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 I know there's challenges with other places, and I have a lot of friends that are in other states where pretty much everybody goes to church on Sunday, and there's issues with that. I, I understand that, but, you know, it just seems like fewer and fewer people are interested in anything of the Lord or being faithful or being engaged in the things of the Lord in the area that we live in. It's just, you know, this whole Central Coast Bay Area is just, um, it's just, um, 
It just seems that way. And, uh, you know, what the Lord's so faithful to remind me is that at its darkest point and when, you know, even in our own little, sorry, our little city here, you know, and we see what kind of people we've had as a mayor and uh, council members um, for the districts and the decisions they've made. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, it's just dark and it's dark. And I think, man, what's, you know, this and that, it just gets darker and darker. But again, the, the important thing is that the light shines brightest in the dark. If we were to black out uh, a room and, and, and you put a littlest of light somewhere in that room, that light is just, you know, it's like that fish that they found on the beach again down in San Diego, those ones that live, whatever, 10,000 feet deep, or whatever, in the ocean. You know, they have that little bioluminescent thing to attract other prey to it. You know, that little teeny bioluminescent thingy they have from their, you know, coming from the top of their fins, uh, the dorsal fin up there or somewhere, you know, it's so bright in this black part of the ocean where the sunlight can't penetrate. And the same thing is true with us. You know, we shine brightly. And yes, the world, if you excuse my expression, is going to hell in a handbag, as has been said. Yeah. And the more we live for Christ, the brighter we shine, because the different will be looking. And, and it won't attract always good attention either. But the Father will use it. And certainly that's what's going on here, uh, to say the least, uh, of, of all that. So he allows them to do it. Jesus is saying, this is not something we're fighting for. This is something the Father is allowing, and I'm allowing darkness to uh, complete the task that the Father has ordained and have control of the situation, though, again, we know it's all in conformance with the will of the Father. And then verse 54 says, Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. Now, I will say this as I, I put up these, these charts here. And so you can kind of see, we start out on the right side with the Garden of Gethsemane. You see Caiaphas' house on the left-hand side at the bottom there, uh, the Antonio Fortress. And then at the top left is the Garden Tomb at the very top, uh, top up there. Uh, gives you some sense of that. Here's a, here's a map. And so um, this is how, if this gives you, helps you to figure it out a little bit. So they started number one is where the upper room was. And then as they're walking and talking and uh, going through Jerusalem, they're going by the temple. Then four is Garden of Gethsemane, where we just were. And then five, his arrest, going to Caiaphas and Annas' house, going to the Antonio Fortress, and then going over um, to see um, Herod Antipas uh, or Herod, uh, yeah, up uh, and another trial, then going back and then going to the cross, you know, going the way of Golgotha, it says. So um, that's just an idea of where Jesus will go here in the next little bit. Um, there's going to be six trials that Jesus will actually, and I, I'll use the term a little loosely, but I, pretty much everybody, uh, you know, acknowledge them as being a trial. He's going to be set before somebody. Luke doesn't give us give them all to us. So I kind of put them up there just so you might know. There's three religious trials and there's three civil trials. He'll show you know, up before Pilate twice and then Herod once. And then uh, before Annas and Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin as a whole. So just to give you some you know, sense of how many trials uh, and things he'll do and um, 
you know, Jesus, again, John, I'm sorry, Luke doesn't give us all six trials here, but I wanted you to know that, that he will be bounced around. That's why there's so many numbers on that chart that I showed you. So again, assuming that, you know, these Bible scholars, uh, you know, he gets, it's arrested at 2, 2.30 in the morning. You know, he's going to have six, these six trials are going to go down before 9 a.m. when he is actually on the cross, which we know he's going to be on the cross by 9 a.m. And again, uh, he's being arrested at this point, And again, Peter is following at a distance. Now, he, you know, again, I give him bravery points here. Uh, you know, he's going to fold pretty quickly here. But I, I just I can't help but balance it out. I mean, he is following. He's following at a distance. And of course, you know, a lot of people we use that that this verse and say, you know, we fall at a distance, you get in trouble. And I and I get that, and I get the application. I've made that application, uh, you know, before teaching uh, uh, through the gospel. Certainly, it's always important that we stay close to the Lord. I I, I don't want to to miss that. You know, um, we, we just don't follow him at a distance. And I don't want to make a big deal about that because I don't think that's, you know, such a big deal. But it does play into the fact, I think, how, how he folded a little bit quickly, as we'll see in a little bit. Um, he is not, you know, staying super close to... And I know I'm, I'm a part of this 100% all the way through. Um, I'm not saying that I would do any better. It's hard to stand up here and be critical of Peter at all. Okay, <laughs> it is um, because you know you look at your own frailties and to say something about one of the greatest, you know, impactful believers that that live, Peter. Uh, you know, you know, because we know what he does later on, and we know what he's done even up to this point. Uh, would I even been close to that? And the answer probably is not even in the same league, but. He does follow at a distance, and it's always important that we stay close to the Lord. If we follow Him at a distance, you know, and yeah, He's up there somewhere, and I'm kind of heading in that direction, things just never really work out, and things, temptations will come, and opportunities not to do what the Lord's called us to do is when we put Him at arm's distance is, is never good. But at least He was around, and I, I, get, I get to give Him that credit here. Uh, we know that John... Uh, had access, the gospel writer of John, one of his other disciples, if you read the garden, um, read the gospel of John. So he is following at a distance, and then um, he's being led away now, and then verse 55 said, Now they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, and Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, well, You are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Verse 59, Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was, was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Now, we know that last denial was, uh, you know, and the other Gospels tell me, hey, it's your accent gives you away. It's just like trying to, ha- trying to hide your Texas drawl or your Georgia drawl, right? I mean, you, you, you pick it up right away or, or your Canadian A eh? <laughs> or, you know, or whatever, you know, those, uh, or the 
or Thomas's New Yorker accent. Sorry, Thomas. Right? You just you pick up the accent right away. And they, he had a Galilean accent. And so they knew he was from Galilee and he must have been with him. But again, we see the progression here. Peter first denied even knowing Jesus. Woman, I don't even know him. Uh, I don't know him. And this is the girl that was kind of like working the... It doesn't say. She was a servant girl kind of at the gate. Maybe she's the one that kind of kept the, uh, the little patio area cleaned or stocked or something. I don't know. But she's, the first denial was, I, didn't even, I, don't e- I don't even know who Jesus Jesus, you know. And, and then he denies being a follower of Jesus. Man, I'm not. And then finally, he, he even denies that he's from Galilee, <laughs> right? I don't know what you're saying. Wait a minute, I'm from Galilee. What are you talking about? Again, Peter was so confident, not even a few hours ago, and yet, you know, Jesus warned him that trouble was ahead. I remember that verse, um, uh, uh, I'm sorry, let me get back to this. I jumped ahead of myself, but he, you know, he said, man, I don't even know him. And the gospel of Matthew and Mark both tell us that he began to curse and to swear, saying, I do not know the man. Now, Luke leaves that out. He just says, you know, uh, 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 you know, it gets to the point where now, uh, on, on his last denial, he is ready to curse and to swear, kind of just making it sound like, you know, talking like a person that wouldn't be hanging out with Jesus, right? Or wouldn't know him or being a part of him in any way. Um, I, I bring that up because he... He, he just, you know, uh, I, I think that's important to say is that what his actions were, he began to curse and to swear uh, that I don't even know uh, the man at all. Um, you know, look at by the how I'm talking, this just ought to be evidence that I'm really not with Jesus at all and uh, I'm not a follower of his. Um, I just think it's a good thing to watch our language too. I'll just put that in there, right? Cursing and swearing, uh, you know, it, it's it's not the mark of a Christian. Of course, the New Testament talks about that as well, um, uh, as well. But he he gets to the point where he's just I don't know him. Uh, I don't even know who he is. I'm certainly not his follower. I am from the galley and blankety blankety blank blank deep blankety blank, right? And then it says, immediately, as verse 60 goes on, when he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And then Peter remembered the words of the Lord and how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. But I love the promise of Jesus. He remembered that, right? But remember that Jesus said, I'm praying for you that your faith will not fail. If you want to scan your eyes up to verse 32 and remember what Jesus said, when you're going you're gonna to deny me three times. And remember, there's roosters all over the place, right? I mean, it's like being in Prunedale or whatever, right? It's just out, you're out in the country. And um, I was just there yesterday afternoon and, Crossing the street were some chickens, you know, and they're just walking across the street, right? Just they're everywhere. So you know, 
having a rooster crow was an unusual thing, but waiting and knowing what Jesus said, listen, you're going to deny me before even the rooster starts crowing in the morning. And uh, again, uh, but I'm praying that your faith won't, be, won't fail. And then when you've come back, strengthen me. You know, Jesus told him, you know, when Peter was so confident. And then, you know, that third time when he denied him, they, there's some eye contact. Now, Jesus is obviously being led out of his first trial um, here, going to his second one. Uh, you know, he's going to see the, the power behind the existing high priest, you know, Caiaphas, and he's going to see Annas as he's being led out. All of a sudden, that last denial takes place. The rooster crows. Peter makes eye contact with Jesus. And, and again, this is a question I think, you know, that we've discussed many times if you've been through this story is that what do you think the look, look of Jesus was? When he had just finished saying, blankety blank, I don't know, I don't know, who are you talking about? I'm not even from Galilee. And, you know, he's going on like this. And then as soon as that sentence is out of his mouth, you know, he makes eye contact with Jesus. And Jesus is looking right at him. And, uh, you know, then he remembers what Jesus said, that he was going to do that. Of course, you at this point, is remember that I've prayed for you, that your faith won't fail. And when you come back, I'll be, you know, strengthen your brethren. He's just thinking about, I'm going to deny it. And that's exactly what I did. What was the look of Jesus? Was it harsh? Was it disappointment? Like, you deny me, man. Mad? I can't believe after all that I've just been through, I'm going through, you're going to deny me. Or frustrated. No, because Jesus said this was going to happen. And, you know, he already knew what's going to happen. He's not surprised by what happened. He knew this was going to go down. And I, I think that's why he said, listen, I'm, gonna, I, I'm, I'm praying for you. I know this is going to happen. So when this goes down and you feel like lower than dirt, you know, the underside of mud and slime, and you feel as low as low, I'm going to pray for you. I know your faith is not going to fail. And when you come back, strengthen everybody through that whole experience. Strengthen them in their faith as they go through doubt and trouble and trials and difficulties and failures. And Jesus knew it was going to happen. He, he knows what's going to happen. That's a great thing is that, you know, how could you be disappointed if you know everything? You, you would never be disappointed because you already know everything. There's that, that rules out disappointment or surprise. And that's the great thing. Our, our Heavenly Father knows everything, so nothing is a surprise or a great dis disappointment. Amazingly, He knows what He got when He got us, which is always brings me back to why in the world would you want me if you knew this was going to happen and if I was going to do this? Um, and yet He does. Um Listen, what we need to understand is that Jesus understands what's going on. He understands trial, temptation, uh, failure. Um, he, he understands all those things. In fact, that's what Hebrews uh, chapter 2 tells us, um, you know, uh, makes him this great high priest in this great position. And it says, for this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of 
the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And of course, you know, Hebrews goes on with how great he is. He's not just like a religious leader that would offer sacrifice or a priest you'd go to for advice in the old old covenant and stuff like that and, and all this. No, he is so much greater because he understands, understands what the, the temptation is like, not that he gave into it, but he also knows the victory through it. He knows what it's like. He knows what you're going through. And again, uh, that's important that we understand that he knows us. And uh, Peter's going to go through some difficult days here. But we'll see actually next week, you know, the difference between Peter's, between Peter and Judas. I just combined their name, uh, their sorrow and their remorse. There is going to be a difference between what Peter does and what Judas does. Now, arguably, somebody could say they both sold them out at some point, although not to the same level in the same degree by any sense. But there is arguably some some similarities here but you're going to see something completely different in their sorrow and their remorse and their way of dealing with what they did and their failures compared to the the two if i could call them failures if you allow me that and so jesus is passing by he looks and again i don't think it's like oh peter <laughs> he knows what's going on and i i just picture it in my own mind's eye if that helps you that man you know I knew it was going to happen, Peter. Your faith's not going to fail. I know it's difficult, but you're going to come back and then do what I called you to do, which is strengthen others that who are going to go through something very similar to what you've gone through or go through exactly what you've gone through. And you could be there to encourage them. Yeah, I know what it's like. You know, that's kind of what this verse is saying. And, and here, let me just pray for you, encourage you, uh, you know, spur you on to do and come back and do what's right and, and, you know, move this aside and live this way and act this way and be my follower and, you know, strengthen others around. Just a, a great thing. And let's finish this section up here. Now, verse 63. Now, when the men who held Jesus, mocked him and beat him, saying, uh, beat him, and having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphem- blasphem- blasphemously spoke against him. And again, Luke doesn't record all the, the trials Jesus did before or took all the beatings that he took, but we know that he was horribly beaten and mocked and spoken evil of, and yet he didn't resist because of us. Because of his love for us. He is going to be beaten beyond, uh, we're told in Isaiah, recognition. If you knew what Jesus looked like before the arrest, and you know what he looked like eight hours later, or if you saw him eight hours later after these beatings and he's on the cross, he was... You wouldn't think that was the same guy. That's the beatings that he went through. And then verse 66, As soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him to their council, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. And they all said to him, Are you the Son of God? 
And so he said to them, You rightly say that I am. And they said, What further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Now, again, the other Gospels do tell us that he had already made this confession of who he was. And, and, and uh, you know, again, this was an, uh, the third trial. This is in the morning now, the official trial, even though the other two already had condemned him. But they had to meet according to Jewish law during the day. And I'm not going to get into all their their the laws to make sure a trial was fair. And they had a lot of them. And of course, all of them were pretty much ignored at this point by them. But here they finally are. And that's why Jesus said, you know, if I say it again, you're not going to believe me anyway. But they, they put him under oath, you know, and he kept the law by answering them. And he tells them, listen, you're not interested in the truth. You're, you're just trying to find a way to put me to death. Now, again, Jesus would have to be accused of something worthy of death by Roman law. Um, and, and so they're trying to work up something that will they'll, they'll be able to bring to the Roman authorities to do that. But I, I want to leave us with this. You just, just notice that these people were not interested in the truth. And Jesus makes that very clear. Listen, this isn't a fact-finding mission. This isn't a truth you're looking for. You're not really looking for what's right. You, you're just looking for what you're looking for to get out of this, to do what you can do to justify your position against me. And can I say that happens today in people's hearts and minds all the time, sadly. You know, they want to look at other people and say, oh, look, you call yourself a Christian, but you know, you do this and you do that and you're not this and you're not that. And what they're really saying is, that I'm looking at you as an excuse why I am not a believer in Christ. Or, or you know, and, uh, you know, or they'll come up, you know, groups will make sweeping statements of, of, of believers and Christians and churches and the Bible and all this stuff. And you guys are blah, blah, blah. And you're, you know, uh, racist and sexist and misogynist and all those other is, 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 is <laughs> that they, they call out there and all this. And they, they, Again, they're looking for a way to justify what they do and how they feel and their position. Um, and, and, and so they're not interested in the truth. And sometimes you, you meet people like that and you run into people like that. And most of us have run into a number of people like that over the years. And, you know, sometimes I, I stop and I say, listen, you know, okay, you're going on the attack here. Are you really interested in the truth or are you just looking for an excuse? And I'll, you know, I'll call people on that. I'll, I'll say that to them. You know, sometimes the Lord has me to do that. Some, sometimes I feel in questions not being honest. It's an accusation. It's dishonest. And so I'll say, listen, are you, are you, are you looking to put me down? Or are you really interested in the truth? Because really, yeah, you can find a lot of holes in, in my life. Sadly, I would like to not be many. And I hope there's less and less. But you can find where I should have let... A couple of people go ahead of me in line at the ice cream store. Absolutely, right? You can, you can find them and, and, you know, far more than that. But it's not about me. I'm not saying to believe in me and follow me and live for me. We're talking about Jesus. And when has he ever let you down? When has he ever done anything wrong? When has he ever treated you badly or forsook you or left you or did this? And, and you know, what, what has he done but love you and desire to be close to you? And that's really the truth of the matter. That's the heart of the matter. And he hasn't. 
And, and he, look what he did for you. And if we can go through and share some of these things, look what he was willing to do. And of course, scripture are full of all what he was willing to do and what he did for us. And that's the really heart of the matter. And, uh, but here, Jesus said, you're just not interested in the truth. One day you'll see the truth. There's a warning there, right? You'll see him, you know, sit at the, the hand of the power of God. You're going to see him, right? Verse 69, verse 70 tells us, you know, uh, uh, you, you're going you're to see that. You're going to know the truth. But the question is whether you're going to receive it now or believe it now for us today or, or you're going to see it later. Because we know every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Everyone who's ever been born, it's going to happen. The question is, when do you choose to acknowledge that? If it's at that point, it's too late person enters an eternity without without the father without god without jesus we called hell place of the absence of everything him a place of torment or we do it now and we enter in and receive by faith the gift that he has so richly given to us by as we'll read next time paying for our sins on the cross and we enter eternity and the decision the question is what is a person going to do with jesus Father, we just thank you for this, this section, Lord. And as we're really heading into celebrating your season of your birth, Lord, um, we understand what that meant and where that was all going and why the angels were rejoicing, and, or, or at least part of the reason why they were rejoicing and why it was such a big deal, because you finally came. And uh, But this was the end. This is the the place that you were headed um, uh, from the beginning of coming here, being delivered in that, in that manger, uh, little barn kind of area, Lord. Um, this, is, this is where it was all pointing to and leading to. This is the crescendo. This was um, why you came. And to be revealed um, for the first time, caused a stir in eternity, certainly, with the angels rejoicing, and then the people being amazed by what was going on uh, in, in heaven uh, with all this rejoicing. And that's because uh, finally being revealed, and being revealed to come to show and demonstrate your love for us by paying for our sins on a, on a cross with your life. And uh, Lord, we thank you so much for that. We can't express that. I, I pray for anybody that just maybe right now is following at a distance and um, you know, keeping you at, at a distance because they have their lives to live and their things they want to do and, and they you know, want to kind of hedge their bets a little bit and uh, kind of live life, but you know, know that you're somewhere right up there, Lord. But that's not the place to be. It's never the safe place for sure. And it's a place where we can get picked off pretty easily by the enemy and discouragement and, and uh, despondency, Lord. So we pray that we would always stay close, Father. Remind people it's not about us and who we are, although we want to set the good example. We want to be shining lights in a dark place. It is all about you. And that's why we come to you and worship you, love you, sing about you, rejoice Father, in your goodness and your love and sending Jesus, Lord. And I pray that anybody that has never done that would experience that this morning. It's as simple as asking. 
And Father, we ask that you again, would you would just do that great work in our hearts. Draw us closer to you. Draw those that are far from you to you, Lord. Restore the downtrodden. Bring in close those that are kind of following afar, Lord. And do the great work that you want to do in and through our lives. For we ask this in Jesus' name.